The message I've prepared today is entitled, Opposite Hearts. We'll be looking at several stories, but really they're one story, intertwined among the lives of several people. But first I wanted to share a brief poem with you. Though I've never been a parent, and certainly I've never been a mother, I wanted to share these words from a mother's heart because I think they can encapsulate today's message in such a perfect way. One day I was picking up the toys off the floor. I noticed a small handprint on the wall beside the door. I knew that it was something I'd seen most every day, but this time when I saw it there, I wanted it to stay. The tears welled up inside my eyes, for I knew it wouldn't last, for every mother knows her children grow up way too fast. Just then, I put, aside my, I put my chores aside and held my children tight. I sang to them sweet lullabies and rocked into the night. Sometimes we take for granted all those things that seem so small, like one of God's great treasures, a small handprint on the wall. Often, when we come to church, we speak of the feats of great men of renown. Men and women, yes, but more often we speak of the men who have changed the course of history. We speak of the great prophets like, and leaders like Elijah, like Moses or the Apostle Paul, and we give them acclaim for their heroism, their piety, their boldness. We see the great responsibilities these men had, the tremendous pressure of their calling, and how God, through his grace, used these men to change the course of history. I don't know about you, but sometimes I'm tempted to think, yeah, but that was them. They did these great things, but perhaps it was because they had greater opportunities. After all, not everyone is called to lead, to lead Israel like Moses even Moses' brother and sister murmured against him. They didn't have the same honor as, as Moses. And when they murmured against him, they received the severe judgment of God. It's tempting to think that, yes, if only I had more opportunities, certainly I could do more with my life. If only I wasn't stuck in Podunkville, Kentucky. If only I had more friends. If only I were better looking. If only I didn't have to spend so much time taking care of the kids or the parents, or whatever the case may be. Yes, if only things were different, perhaps I could have a better life. If people would appreciate me more, perhaps, yes, then I could change the world. Then my life would amount to something. And we pine our lives away walking in the shadowy garden of regrets, of envy, of covetousness, of living a life of if only, a living a life of might have been. I want you to think of a story that we find in the scriptures. The story of someone who could have wished, if anyone could have ever wished for a different life. It was this little girl. A nameless young slave girl who at an early age had been taken captive from her home and from her family and was serving in the home of the man who led the army who had taken her captive. We can only imagine what tragedy may have befallen her parents. 
when this young girl was torn away from her home and everything she knew? If anyone had a reason to complain, it would have been this little girl. She couldn't go to school. She couldn't run and play with her friends. She couldn't run to the arms of her father and mother. It seemed as if every opportunity of her life was crushed. And to add insult to injury, now she was forced to serve as a slave of the very ones who were responsible for this tragedy. We find this story in your Bibles, and you can turn there with me to 2 Kings chapter 5. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. And we'll, we'll go through this chapter in the next few minutes because it's such a, such a beautiful story. 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 1. Now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out on raids and had brought back captive a young girl from the land of Israel. She waited on Naaman's wife. This mighty man, Naaman, he was mighty in every way, but he had one problem. It says he was a leper. And perhaps you're thinking right now, if I was this girl, I would be glad to see there's something that's going to take this man down. I don't know, I think I would have thought that if I had been in her shoes. But there was something in the heart of this young girl, something different, something that's difficult to understand. Perhaps it's something that we call grace. Perhaps you could use the word gratitude. I believe it's both of these. But in truth, it can be nothing short of the Spirit of God that would have given this little girl the heart of gold. Look at what she says here in verse 3. She doesn't pine about her, her, her life that's lost. She doesn't complain. She doesn't wish that or, or, or rejoice that this disease has fallen on her master. She says, verse 3, when she, Then she said to her mistress, If only my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. Despite her circumstances, despite all the bitterness and hatred that she could have had, it seems her only concern in the world is that her master could be healed. A heart of gratitude. Well, Naaman wastes no time. And Naaman went down, verse 4, went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus said the girl who was from the land of Israel. Then the king of Syria said, Go now, I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he departed and took with him ten, shekel, ten talents of silver, ten thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. It seems like an unlikely chain of events. Why ever would this Syrian general pay attention to the idle chatter of a slave girl? Why would he listen to her? Why would he believe her? Why would he go out of his way Was he that desperate? Well, certainly there was an element of that. Certainly he was desperate and willing to grasp onto the faintest hope. But there must have been something more. I believe it comes down to the attitude of this young girl. Something about her attitude, something within her that Naaman and his wife could see that this girl was genuine, 
that she was not putting something on. She was not trying to get Naaman in a trap, but that she genuinely cared for him. And from the, the honesty of her heart, she just, she just bubbled over with this, with this thought, only if, if only Naaman could go and see the prophet that is in Samaria. If only he could go and see the prophet Elisha, he would be healed and he wouldn't suffer the way he is. You see, this attitude can come from nothing but this thing that we call gratitude. What is thankfulness? What is gratitude? You see, gratitude is more than just saying, thank you, I appreciate it. We throw around this time of year this word, thank you, but what does it really mean? Gratitude, my friends, is a way of looking at the world, a lens, if you will. And this lens of gratitude overlooks the injustice that is done to us and allows us to recognize our eternal indebtedness to another. Our eternal indebtedness for our present well-being. And it points us to the great giver of all good things. It makes us willing to forgive those who have wronged us. It makes us realize that what we have is not truly our own, but that we owe it to another. And this was the life message, my friends, of this little maid. And it had its effect on Naaman, such a profound effect that he was willing to risk his reputation and even the security of the nation on the word of this little girl. So he gets a letter from the king. He goes there to the king of Israel, for where else would he go? He go, goes there to Samaria and walks into the palace. And I would have loved to be a fly on the wall there in the palace of the king of Israel when Naaman and his entourage march in. And Naaman, Naaman presents the letter and demands to be healed of his leprosy. The king tears his robe. Am I God to kill and make alive? He cries. How this this Syrian general? He's he's looking for a, an excuse to start a fight with me. What do you think I can do? He forgot his greatest asset to the kingdom was not himself, but the God of heaven, who was the true king, who is supposed to be the true king of Israel. Through and the prophet through whom God spoke and worked. Well, before Naaman could be sent away, Elisha heard the message. He heard that the king had torn his robe and he asked to see Naaman. So Naaman makes his way down to Elisha's home. I can imagine being rebuffed once. Naaman's already perhaps having perhaps second thoughts about the, the wisdom of this, this venture, this journey going out uh, like he was. But he gets down to the prophet's house. He expects Elisha to come out in his best robe. I mean, after all, how else do you greet a dignitary? But who greets him? A servant. Gehazi. Not Elisha. The prophet didn't even bother to get up from his chair. Knocks on the door. Naaman here, captain of the Syrian army. Oh, yes, Naaman. Sorry, the prophet's busy, but I, I've got a message for you from him. Here, he, he wrote this little note. He says, go down to the river and wash seven times and you'll be clean. Naaman is furious. 
he says there in verse, uh, verses 11 and 12, Indeed, I said to myself, this is Naaman's words, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of his, the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Are not Abana and Bar rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? You know, I have to laugh at this. I really do. Because how often do we, as Christians, ask God for something and then tell him how to do what we ask him to do for us? I I see you laughing and smiling. Am I not the only one that's been guilty of doing that? We, We say, God, I know you promised to take care of your children and I'm one of your children, so here's how I want you to take care of me. You see, I really, to be in good shape, I need money. And in order to get money, I need a good job, I need a good reputation, I need more friends, and I need all my trials to go away. And if if you would just do that one thing for me, Lord, I mean, it would just be so much better. We don't really pray like that, but then maybe again we do. don't get more money or my friends aren't nice to me. I find myself going through trials and find myself questioning why, Lord. And I get angry. I get upset and I walk away from him or I'm tempted to when I'm right on the verge of finding the blessing, the true blessing that God has in store in the way that I never expected it. So Naaman gets mad. He goes off in a rage and he starts on his way back to Syria. He's given up. Nope, I'm not doing this. I'm not getting in that muddy Jordan River. No, thank you. I've had enough of this. I I was foolish to start off on this journey, but I am not going to be that foolish. I'm not going to humiliate myself to get in that muddy river. As he's on his way back, he's on his way back. And I love this here in verse 12. Uh, Sorry. Uh, yeah, the last part of verse 12. So he turned away and went away in a rage. In verse 13, and his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? I have to stop right here because this is such a powerful powerful picture of the gospel right here. Jesus offers us cleansing. Cleansing through his blood. Full, free, complete. But how many of us are willing, truly willing to partake of it? How many people in this world would go to the ends of the earth to find peace, joy, and happiness? How many would spend their life fortunes to do some great work in some attempt to find salvation. But just to wash and be clean? It sounds too simple. It sounds too easy. It sounds too unintellectual, too humiliating. But this humble yet wise servant of Naaman comes to him and says, wash and be clean. I mean, think of the reasonableness of this. You would have You would have spent all of this money. You would have spent all of your life to find healing from leprosy. Why not just try it? And my friends, I believe every one of us today 
so many in this world are struggling, searching for peace. How many would give everything they have to find peace? How many would believe that it's so simple as to say, yes, Jesus, to accept what he has done for you and for me, to believe him, to claim it, just to wash and be clean. I love this, the way this story turns. So Naaman goes down. So he went down, verse 14, and dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. What was it, my friends, that cleansed Naaman's leprosy? Was there something magical about the waters of the Jordan River? No. It was his simple faith. His trust in God, however weak, but this simple faith expressed in action, in obedience to God's direction. There was nothing, absolutely nothing that Naaman did that cured his leprosy. There was nothing about the water that cured his leprosy. But there was everything about the God of heaven that cured his leprosy. And in that instant, Naaman became a believer in the true God. And his heart which had been hard, had been in a rage, was softened, just like his skin. His heart was softened and filled with gratitude. Verse 15, And he returned to the man of God, he and all his aides, and came and stood before him and said, Indeed, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. Now, therefore, please take a gift from your servant, Naaman returns to Elisha's house. He pours out his gratitude to God and to this prophet. Please take this gift. But Elisha can't accept the gift. Why? Because when you, when I do something for you and you give me something in return, what do we call that? Payment. And, and if Elisha had accepted the gift, he would have been accepting the payment and acknowledging that now this is just a business transaction. But this was no business transaction, my friends. The grace of God is never a transaction. The grace of God is never bought or sold. And this was the lesson that Elisha intended to teach Naaman, that God intended to teach Naaman through the ministry of Elisha. And he says, no, no, you can't do it. You can't pay me because I wasn't the one who did it. It was the God of heaven. And because of your faith, you are healed. I wish this story would end here. Elisha makes a promise. He says, the rest of my life, I'm going to serve no one but the God of heaven. And he goes on to explain, but but when I I go into the house of this idol and and the king, I I have to go there because I'm the king's servant and the king is going to lean on my hand and I I may bow down, but I'm not worshiping that idol. And I just want you to know that even if I I go there for the king and bow down in front of that idol, I'm never going to worship that idol because I know that the... God of heaven is the only God in all the earth. And he is the one who healed me of this leprosy. I wish the story would end there, but it doesn't. Naaman heads back to Syria. His heart is filled with faith, filled with gratitude. But there was someone else that was watching this whole transaction. The one who had gone to the door to to meet Naaman, to give him the message to go and wash in the river Jordan. The servant, Gehazi. And as he sees Naaman making his way down the road. 
with millions of dollars of cash. Well, it was gold and silver and clothes, but it might as well have been cash. Something strikes him in the heart. That could have been ours. That could have been mine. He offered it to the prophet and Elisha refused. Elisha, don't you realize who this man is? Don't you realize how wealthy he is? Don't you realize what we could have done with a million dollars? We could have built a school. We could have built two schools. Just think about what we could have done with all this money. So Elisha, Elisha must have turned his back for a minute. And Gehazi slips out the door and runs down the road, running after Naaman. He waves his arm and Naaman stops. He comes up to Naaman. And now he's got to make up a story. Uh, Naaman, Naaman, I, I, I'm sorry. There were, there were two, two of the sons of the prophets. They came out and, and they, they just came just now. And we, we would just like a little bit of something to help them out. I mean, if you don't mind, Naaman's more than happy. Oh, sure, sure. Here, here's a wedge of gold. Here's some, here's some clothes. Here's and Gehazi goes back. Hides the things in a little house. Goes back. When he comes back to Elisha, where have you been? Verse 26. Yeah, well, Gehazi says, I, I haven't been anywhere. I didn't go anywhere. You know, one lie always leads to another lie and another lie. Pretty soon you weave such a complicated web of lies you don't even know where you've gone. That's, that's where Gehazi was. Verse 26, then he said, Elisha says to Gehazi, did not my heart go with you when the man turned back from his chariot to meet you? Is it a time to receive money, to receive clothing, olive groves and vineyards, sheep and oxen, male and female servants? Therefore, the leprosy of Naaman shall cling to you and your descendants forever. And he went out from his presence leprous, as white as snow. Whoa. Two men, Naaman and Gehazi. Two hearts, a heart of gratitude and a heart of covetousness, of desiring the things that I don't have, instead of being thankful for the things that I do have. And the disease of leprosy that had so recently clung to Naaman's skin had infected the heart and now infected the life of this servant Gehazi. Naaman had received the healing and it produced an infinite debt of gratitude in his heart. Gehazi had had the highest privilege, perhaps, of anyone in the nation of Israel to be the servant of Elisha. No doubt Gehazi was in line, perhaps to even become another prophet like Elisha. He had seen miracles worked in answer to his word. And yet his heart was not filled with the same gratitude as the heart of Naaman, or the heart of Elisha, or the heart of that humble little maid. What is gratitude? Gratitude is an indebtedness, a recognition that we have what we don't deserve. To recognize that what we have is a gift from God. And it may not be with us all the time, but we can appreciate it while it's here. Just like the little handprints on a wall. Just like the little maid who didn't complain about her bitter lot in life, 
but whose only concern was for her Syrian master. My friends, which will it be? Which heart will you have? A heart of envy and covetousness or a heart of thankfulness? May we this season learn the meaning of grace. Learn to accept God's grace in whatever form it comes. Jesus said in Luke 4 and verse 27, Many lepers were in the land of Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. Why was Naaman cleansed? Because, my friends, he believed in God and accepted his gift with gratitude. May we do the same today. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, how can we say thank you enough for the beautiful and unimaginable gift of your Son, for the gift of grace, the gift of salvation, and all the other gifts that go along with it. Lord, help us to learn what it means to live a life of gratitude, to live our lives indebted to you with this debt of thankfulness flowing out to others, to all that we meet and come in contact with. We ask this, Lord Jesus, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.